Would you join with me in prayer? Dear Lord, I thank you so much. Thank you for the opportunity to be here. Thank you for the opportunity to open up your word. Thank you for the opportunity to praise you. Thank you for the opportunity of being your family together. Thank you, Lord. We just pray that you be glorified now. Open our hearts to you even as we open your word to us. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. People love to talk about why Jesus why Jesus came. We, we, and everybody seems to have a different focus. It's not necessarily bad, it's just a different focus. Some people tell you he came to heal. Some people say he came to teach, to show us a better way, to be a good model. Some people say he came to save the lost. Some people say he came to shake up the system, stick it to the man. But it's interesting, Jacques Ellul, who I've always appreciated reading, years ago wrote a book, The Subversion of Christianity, and he talked about how we tend to reinvent the church, reinvent Christianity to reflect our favorite parts of the current culture we find ourselves in. It's amazing when you look back at history and then look at the way the church is organized, how much that church just looks like the place. But we also do that with Christ. We tend to create Christ in our own image. We like a Christ that does this, so that's why Jesus came. We're more comfortable with a Jesus who did that, so that's why Jesus came. The Bible actually talks about why Jesus came. There's a lot of stuff in there about why Jesus came. And if we tend, as a species, to reinvent the church to look like ourselves and reinvent Jesus to look like ourselves, if we have that tendency... Well, I'd like to see if we could combat that just a smidgy bit. Maybe instead of looking at us, we should look at what the Bible specifically says. So if you'll forgive a little bit of a lit review this morning, I just kind of want to look at some of the times where the Bible, even Jesus himself, talks about why Jesus came. And maybe we can learn something about if we are ambassadors for Jesus, why are we here? Now, everybody, we just came from Christmas. So everybody knows why Jesus came, right? We know all about the Messiah and everybody back in the day knew about the Messiah. They'd read Isaiah, right? To us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. That's, that's Isaiah talking about Bethlehem, right? That's a, that's a Christmas verse. We know this. And so he goes on and he says, to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bethlehem. And the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. And he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on, that time on and forever. And the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Everyone knew why the Messiah came, right? Why did Messiah come at Bethlehem? To take the world government on his shoulders at Bethlehem. Right? To sit on David's throne in Jerusalem and rule all the nations of the earth. That's what Jesus did. Yes? He did that. He brought peace so that everyone on the planet would call him the Prince of Peace. He came to establish a kingdom of justice and righteousness that was perfect from Bethlehem on. You're living in the physical kingdom of Jesus Christ centered in Jerusalem, the capital of world peace. Yes? Because clearly the Bible is wrong. Either that or 
maybe Isaiah is not necessarily a Christmas passage. No. Or not only a Christmas passage. Maybe that beginning of Isaiah 9-6, to us a child is born, son is given. Sure. But maybe the rest of that isn't fulfilled quite the way we were anticipating. Or maybe, maybe it's less about the Gospels and more about Revelation. Maybe the Bible is just a smidge bit more nuanced. But maybe we shouldn't just assume, like they would have in the first century, why Jesus came. Because when people started figuring out that he is the capital M Messiah, well, that's when they're saying, oh, wow, put some branches on the road, lead him into Jerusalem so that he can sit on David's throne. Because they'd read Isaiah and they, they knew why Jesus came, right? Why did Jesus say Jesus came? Because I think Jesus specifically talks about it. Why did the Bible say, our favorite preacher, the, the preacher in, in Hebrews, he, he quotes from Psalm 40 and he puts it in the mouth of Christ as if Jesus were saying these words about himself. And in Hebrews 10, he, he says, Jesus is saying, here I am. It's written about me in the scroll. I've come to do your will, O God. Jesus didn't technically say that verbally that we know of. He might have. But the writer of Hebrews is saying, this is the fulfillment of what Psalm 40 is saying. He's not saying Jesus said, quote, this. He's saying Jesus is saying, I'm living this out, which technically Jesus did, didn't he? he said, I came to do God's will. That's why I'm here. Remember that extended bread analogy that we talked about a couple weeks ago from John chapter 6, the bread chapter? If 1 Corinthians 13 is the love chapter, John chapter 6 is the bread chapter. Jesus said, I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. He's not quoting Psalm 40, but he's saying Psalm 40. I came to do God's will. That's why I came. I came to do that. That's the sentiment at the very beginning of Christ's ministry here, and it's also the sentiment at the end of Christ's ministry, isn't it? What does he say in Gethsemane when he says, I would really rather not get stapled to a tree if at all possible. Nonetheless, not my will, but your will be done. At the very beginning of his ministry, he's like, I came to do God's will. At the very end of his ministry, he says, I came to do God's will. That's why Jesus came. He says, I've come down from heaven to do, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me. And that should totally get our attention. If Jesus, using red letter words popping out of his mouth, says, this is why, this is the will of God, everybody should go, well, you've got my attention. I'm listening. This is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all who have been given me, but raise them up on the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. That's what God wants. That's why Jesus explicitly says that he came. Not to heal, not to preach, not to do justice, but to bring to salvation the people that he's going to bring to salvation so that he can raise them up the last day. It's the same thing they told Nicodemus back in, in, in John chapter 3, saying the same thing as he does in John chapter 6. Go figure. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's why God gave his son. 
That's why the son is here. Now, bringing people to faith in the Savior who has authority to forgive sins and save souls. Well, don't we see in Scripture that there are times where Jesus says, so that you know I have the authority to forgive sins. Okay, fine. As an afterthought, you're also healed. The paralytic is healed so that people see that he has the authority to forgive sins. But he's here to forgive sins. That's why he came. Sometimes that requires healing. Sometimes that involves teaching. Sometimes that involves doing justice. But all, ultimately, not for its own end, but to glorify God, to do God's will, to bring people to salvation. That's why he came. To the people in Capernaum, he said at the very beginning of his ministry in Luke chapter 4, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns also. Because that's why I was sent. I was come here to preach the gospel, right? The good news. That's literally why I came. That same good news that the Hadawal, the angel that we talked about a couple weeks ago, just two chapters earlier said at that first Christmas, didn't the, the angel say, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people? Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born, and he is the Messiah. And he's the Lord. I bring you good news. What? The Savior will save you. And Jesus says, yes, that's why I came, is to preach the Savior will save you. That's why I'm here. Jesus said to Zacchaeus, and by extension, all those people sitting there on the road in Jericho, grumbling that Jesus is talking to a guy like Zacchaeus. Because he says it around everybody. Everybody's going, not Zacchaeus. Jesus says loudly enough that everybody's hearing it. He says, you know, in Luke chapter 19, the Son of Man came. Why did he come? I'll tell you why I came. The Messiah came to seek and to save what was lost. That's why I came. How many times does the Bible have to say something before we believe it? Ah, I was Trixie. Didn't say we should believe it. How many times does that say it before we, we, we do believe it? Should be once, but it can be hard to live this one out. Why did Jesus come? To seek and to save the lost. And to do other things, but why did he come? Because it can be hard to live like that. It can be hard to live like active, conscious ambassadors of that very clear message that the world is lost. That those who don't accept the payment of our Savior who saves us are genuinely lost. But that Jesus genuinely wants to save them. Wants to reach out and save anybody, everybody, anybody who will believe. Someone told me this week that somebody was talking to them that they were so messed up, so broken, so bad that Satan doesn't even want them. Okay, so many things wrong with that sentence. I mean, one, Satan doesn't want anybody. There's the whole, oh, he'll sign your soul away to Satan. What's he going to do with it? He doesn't have a place to put it. His kingdom is here. You're not going anywhere. The idea that Satan is going to want you, no, Satan doesn't want you. But Christ does. The idea that anybody is so messed up, so broken, so bad, that Christ doesn't want them, or so bad that they're badder than he is good 
Are you worse than God is good? I'm pretty sure his good trumps your bad. You just got to play those cards. What did Jesus tell the religious leaders who scoffed when he was reaching out to sinful people and <gasps> tax collectors? In Mark 2, he said, you know, it's not the healthy who need the doctor, but the sick. I haven't come to call the righteous, but sinners. Those are the people I'm leaning toward. No one is so messed up, so broken that Jesus doesn't want them. But he doesn't reach out to them because he says, I prefer people who sin. It's not that he says, I like hanging out with the sinners. It's like, no, if you don't have cancer, you don't need an oncologist. I'd like you who have cancer to meet the oncologist. You know why? Ultimately, so you don't have cancer no more. That's the idea. Not to leave you, but to heal you spiritually, to be there for you. And so part of loving this broken world is that Jesus needs them to understand that they are broken, that they're lost without him. He needs us to understand that they're lost without him. Just like, just like we are, right? But that can be hard for us. We can say, oh, boy, I really would like them to have this nice thing that I have. They're lost. Everybody you speak to, every human being you interact with ever in your life is either a reborn brother and sister in Christ or they are on their way to self-destruction. There's no dimmer switch. It's just off or on. Every single human being you talk to has an eternal destination of one of two places. But we don't like to think about it that way. It's too big. It's got too much to it. It's scary. It's saddening. But it's true. And that can be hard because it can mess us up. We can think like the religious people of Christ's day who thought, Broken people are lesser people in the eyes of God. Well, that's a tax collector. That's a prostitute. That's a drug dealer. That's a Democrat. I don't know. Where's, what's your fill in your blank as to what you don't like? That's a Trump supporter. That's a, that's a bald guy. No, no, that's a... I don't know. Fill in the blank. There are no lesser people to God. There's just people he sculpted to be in his image children whom he loves. Some of them are in relationship with him. And some of them are children whom he loves that are blissfully tripping their way to the cliff. That doesn't make him happy. And it doesn't make him want to turn his face away from those people. He wants to find those people. He wants to chase them down. And it can be hard not to think like the irreligious people of today who sit there and go, but... There's nothing wrong with being broken. Why? It's in our brokenness. That, that, that That's our humanity. Why? We learn so much by our mistakes. It's all about, we should really lean into the fact that we're flawed. And you, to get to the point where you're not as flawed, right? No, no, no. That's just negative. You want to be... It offends people to tell them that they're on their way to a cliff drop because it somehow devalues their path. The world doesn't want to hear that they're wrong. Or, or 
Or it's hard because we can, we can think like centuries of good Jews and nice Christians who say, yes, prophets and priests and pastors and missionaries should absolutely be reaching out to those people. Let's go send them to talk to those people and bring them to the mountaintop. When God calls all of us to be ambassadors, right? All of us are ambassadors. All of us are sharing his gospel, Paul says, as though God were making his appeal through us. We all are. I'm just the prompter. I'm just the guy up here going, read this book and let's go do. It's not that I'm supposed to do it. It's that we're all supposed to do it. We're supposed to remind ourselves to live out why Jesus came. And he specifically said why he came. There are two kinds of people in the world, right? Those who are your brother and sister in Christ and those that you want to be. There are no other people left to despise, are there? Are there people you despise? I I don't have a finger for them. Then again, again, it's, it's not that we can't or shouldn't admonish one another to still live rightly. You don't just sit there and go, yes, I'm an oncologist who says, how do we help your cancer to flourish? No. I'm trying to correct some things. I'm trying to work on things. And I can't wink at God's law in order to best embrace those people that stand against God's law. Well, they don't like hearing that they're not following God's law, so don't tell them. No. I don't want to value their path. I want to change it. I love that in his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus specifically told people in Matthew 5, don't think that I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I haven't come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I, I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, nothing, not the dot over the eye, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. For those that think that Jesus just came to tear everything down, um, no. He specifically says, no, I came to fulfill everything God has already said. That's what I'm here to do. Everything is already done in Scripture. To ignore or to sideline the Bible in order to reach the lost is not only ill-considered, it is ignoring the example of Jesus Christ himself. I do not want to sideline the Bible just because some people don't like it. Think again to how this all started. I already quoted from Luke 4, but early on in his ministry, at the very beginning, in Nazareth, he went to the synagogue to begin his ministry. And in Luke 4, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And unrolling it, he didn't just go, boop. He looked for it and found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. That's why I came. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Reading from Isaiah 61. This prophecy that's all about the Messiah. But then he stops short of the part of that prophecy that says, and the day of vengeance of our, of our God. Because that's, that's for a later time. But when starting his ministry, Jesus points back to the scripture and says, this is why I was sent. This is why I came. To proclaim the good news, and to bring it about. Then he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This starts now. And if that doesn't give you goosebumps, we're not reading that right. 
He's like, for centuries, you have been waiting for the Messiah to save the world and to preach the good news. That is fulfilled in me, in your hearing, right now. That's amazing. But he says, that's why I came to do this. Not to rebel against status quo, though it's often included, but to fulfill everything, to make everything right again. That's why he came. All the things that you and I, that we as a species, have been twisting and breaking and tainting and nonetheless somehow justifying since since Eden, uh, since Eve took the fruit and said, yeah, I guess I do deserve this. Since Cain killed Abel and said, well, it's not like I'm my brother's keeper. Since you were spiteful this week and knew that that spite was completely justified. You know it was, right? You had every good reason. I'm sorry, maybe that wasn't this week. Maybe it was the last week. Have you ever done that? All those times that we don't do what we're specifically told to do, all those things that we do exactly what we're not supposed to do, we're broken and we are unable to be fixed. You cannot be repaired. You cannot. But you can be recreated. Nobody can come and put a piece of tape on you that makes you right again. But the potter can recast you. Remake you afresh and anew so that you are reborn as something different. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. So that, the reason he did so, was so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. That's why he came. That's why he was sent. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But, that huge, tiny little word that pivots everything. Good, good, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but, whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son, the only name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved in Acts. why he came. The world stands at being lost. It's not like, well, we're in danger of being lost. You're already lost. We're lost. We're broken in a way that can't be fixed but can be reborn. It's not because we have to believe in Jesus' name because God is elitist or or narrow-minded, but because of cosmic physics. Only Jesus can save. Only the Son of God. The perfect human but still fully human, who is nonetheless a sinless human, who came in from outside the tainted system to be part of the tainted system so that he can heal the tainted system but without being tainted by the tainted system. That's the only person that could save us. Only Jesus can save us. If we could do it on our own, we, he wouldn't have needed to die. If we could just not sin ever, he wouldn't have needed to die. But a darkened candle can't light a room. It just doesn't work like that. And we're darkened candles. We can't be the light that we need to light our own way out of our own darkness. And anybody that tells you different is selling something. You can't just be a really good version of you 
and think that's like your wick just lit. You're just a really good smelling unlit candle, which is great, but since the whole point of a candle is to light, Jesus specifically said in John 12, I have come into the world as a light. That's why I came. So that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. I came to be the light that your faith brings you to the light out of the darkness. I came to do what I've said, that whoever believes in me would have eternal life. As for the person who hears my words but doesn't keep them, he says, I don't even judge them. For I didn't come to judge the world but to save it. Isn't that what he's already said? I didn't come to judge the world. I didn't come to condemn the world. Because clearly the Bible is inconsistent and inaccurate. The Bible is wrong. If you're taking notes, jot that down. The Bible is clearly wrong. Because Dr. Luke quotes Jesus as saying in Luke 9, for judgment I have come into this world. That's why I came. So that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. That's why I came, right? So who's right? Cousin John or Dr. Luke? Because they can't both be right, can they? I didn't come to judge the world. I came for judgment. They can't both be right. Or can they? John specifically says that Jesus didn't come to judge. He said it in John 12. He also said it in John 3. Didn't come to condemn us because sadly we stand condemned already. It's already built into the system, right? Dr. Luke doesn't say that Jesus came to judge, but that he came for judgment to happen. He's not here to condemn anybody, but he is here to draw that line in the sand. He didn't have to. He simply shows us where we're at, just like the law. The law shows us where we fall short of the law. It doesn't mean the law is broken. It just means we can't follow the law because we ain't perfect. Jesus doesn't have to condemn us because we're already condemning ourselves. He didn't have to break us. We're already broken. He drew a line in the sand. In Matthew 10, he says, don't suppose I've come to bring peace to the earth. Which again means that the gospels are wrong because there's other gospels that say the angels said that he came to bring peace on the earth. So man, the Bible is inconsistent and wrong again. Or maybe his point is that there will be peace on earth, but not the kind that we're looking for or maybe even most pointedly, not this trip. And maybe we should stop assuming that the Bible's just wrong when it has a smidgy bit more nuance than we wanted it to have. If we want every verse to say everything exactly the same way, and if it doesn't, then we just assume the Bible somehow screwed up. Maybe we just need to read it just a little bit more carefully. Because I don't think that Jesus is disagreeing with the angels. I don't think John is disagreeing with Luke. Jesus continues, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. I came to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies is going to be the members of his own household, quoting from Micah. That's a prophet. But that's why Jesus came. Not to make everyone peaceful, not to make everyone comfortable, but to draw the line in the sand that says, on this side of the line is life. The side you're on is death. 
But on this side of the line is life. Step over the line. It costs you nothing. Step over the line. But you have to step over the line. And if you don't, you are already choosing to stay on the side of death. Don't do that. I'm not here to judge you. I'm here to show you that you're under judgment. There's always going to be people that grit their teeth and ball up their fist and shout in defiance and offense because somebody looked at them and said, you need to admit that you're wrong and you might need to change something. And beloved, sometimes that's even Christians. But when somebody says, I think you're doing that wrong and you might need to change something, you have two options. One is to say, let me chew on that. You might be right. And the other is to double down and go, no! At which point I encourage you, read about Asa, king of Judah. Read in the Old Testament about the guy that did things right until he was told that maybe this one thing he did wasn't so right and then he kept going worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. Jesus says, why I came was to drive a wedge between you. Not to condemn not to judge, but so that judgment could come to a world that desperately needs it. Coming to drive a wedge between those who would choose God, the God who loves them enough to cut out their spiritual cancer, and those who would prefer to comfortably stay just the way that they are because they don't want to think about it. Not because Jesus wants those people at odds, but because he needs them to see that they're on two different sides. I need you to see that it isn't just be the best version of this. That you, There's two different sides, and I want you on this side. I'm going to drive a wedge so that you see you are on two separate sides. There will be a time in history where everybody in the planet is very clearly on one side or the other. Now we're back to Revelation. But Jesus is like, I, I'm starting that now. I'm, I'm, I'm driving a wedge. I'm, I'm drawing a line. I'm bringing a sword to say, you have to choose. That's why I came. But even then, it's not so that we can become enemies to one another. And yes, there are enemies to the gospel. There are people that say, ah, I, I want to stand against that. There are people who are offended that a Christian would tell them that their life choices will bring them to hell. I, just, I don't like the idea of hell. Therefore, since I don't like the idea of hell, can I reimagine a Jesus that would never allow us to go there? There are going to be people who don't like that, by definition, Jesus is trying to tear down the toxic lives that they love. They may consider themselves our enemies. They may actively consider themselves our enemies. But as Christians, there are two kinds of people on the planet. Those who are our brothers and sisters in Christ whom we love, and those who we want to be our brothers and sisters in Christ who we love. We don't have space for enemies. We don't have space for enemies. We're trying to reach them, not defeat them. It's Satan that we're trying to defeat, if anything. Christ's cousin John later wrote in 1 John 3, He who does what is sinful is of the devil, the slanderer, the false accuser. When we choose to sin, we miss the mark, and we're following Satan again just as surely as Eve did, where she's like, oh, wow, that, that makes sense. He's like, don't do that. You're, you're following the slanderer. You're following the false accuser because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared 
was to destroy the devil's work. That's why Jesus came. Not to destroy the devil's human minions, not to destroy the devil's victims, but to destroy what the devil's been doing since Eden when he started poisoning our species. In fact, John prefaced that four verses earlier by saying everyone who sins breaks the law. It doesn't matter whether it's a tiny sin or a huge sin. You steal a pencil, did you murder a, a nun? You broke the law. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. It's choosing that I know I should not yell at my spouse, and I'm told not to give free reign to my anger. If I do that, I am ignoring God, and I am sinning. And I yell at my spouse. You go, congratulations, that is sin. You chose lawlessness because it felt better. But you know that, John says, Jesus appeared so that he might take away our sins. That's why John says Jesus came. He came to save us, to defeat the the devil's schemes by saving the devil's victims, to save those who had chosen Satan, even if only tacitly. Those who are standing condemned already, that's why Jesus came. How many times does the Bible have to say something? Perhaps John remembered what Jesus had said years before when he talked about shepherding his sheep back in John 10. He said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I've come so that they, my, my sheep may have life and have it to the full. That's why Jesus came, so that those sinful, lost, foolish sheep like, you know, me may have life, eternal life, and have it to the full. Over and over again, the Bible explicitly talks about why Jesus came. Do you see any pattern here? Over and over. Why did you come? To seek and save what's lost. I came to save you. I came to save you from your sins. I came to defeat the schemes of the devil by saving you from your sins. I came to save the lost. I'm looking for the unrighteous and the broken and the lost. Those are the people I've come to save. That's why I came. How many different books of the Bible have we already seen that in? That's why I specifically came. To do what we could never do. Not so that I could be this glorious king. I will be. And of my kingdom I'm already king. But I love in Mark 10, he's talking to his disciples and he says, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. Because all the disciples desperately wanted the good seats. And he goes on, he says, for even the son of man, even the Messiah, didn't come to be served but to serve. He came to give his life as a ransom for many. That's why Jesus came. Specifically, not just as a model or as a teacher or as a divine revolutionary or as a healer, though all of those things, but he came to be the Savior who died to set the rest of us free. That's why he came. He called all of us, all of us sheep, all of his church family. He called all of us to serve everyone to help bring them to salvation. It's not our job to change the world. It's not our job to save the world. It's our job, literally our job, to point the world to the Savior who does change the world, who does save the world. It's our job to love like Jesus loved. Didn't he say, as I have loved, you go love one another? It's our job to share what Jesus shared, to speak what Jesus spoke. That's our job. Not because we're so perfect or even perfected, but because he's so perfect and he's the one we're trying to reflect. So when somebody says, why did Jesus come? I kind of want to go back to what the word of God says 
about why Jesus came. And why Jesus came seems fairly consistent. To be the Savior. To save the lost. It's why Jesus came. I love how Paul put it. In 1 Timothy 1, writing to his to his protege, Timothy. Paul says, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Now, let's clarify that. Oh, wait, that's pretty clear, isn't it? I can't clarify that. He said, Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's what he said. Anything I say about that would obfuscate it. He's pretty clear about that. I love it. He goes, Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus, came into the world to save sinners, of whom I'm the worst. And I love the grammar of that because the, technically what he says is, of whom I am currently the worst. This isn't him saying, I used to be so messed up. He's like, oh, no, no, no. I am currently the worst of sinners. I am one of the ones that he has saved and I am broken. I want us to all consider ourselves like that. Like you're the least of these, the least deserving, the least worthy of being served. Not, I don't want you to have a bad self-image. That's not what he's getting at here. I don't want you to go, I'm so much worse than Eric. But to sit there and go, wait, I really don't ever want to think I'm so much better than Eric. Or at least I'm so much better than... No, 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 no. I am the worst of sinners so far as I'm concerned. That's what I'm trying to get at. I love how he says it to the Philippians. In Philippians 3, Paul says, whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What's more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all those worthless things. I consider them rubbish. The word he uses there is garbage, excrement, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Any righteousness on my part is dung next to what I have in Christ. Why would I ever prefer the dung? Well, you could shine it up really No. No. He goes on and he says, I, 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 not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, from following the law, from being a good law follower, but which is through faith in Christ. Righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. That's my righteousness. Not a shined up version of this, but this that comes from my faith because I've been saved by faith. Which Jesus repeatedly said is why he came, right? So that when we believe on him, we can be saved. So Paul tells Timothy, Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am currently the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ, might, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example to those who would believe on him and, and receive eternal life. Paul says, that's why I'm here. We you know why Christ came, but Paul says, why I'm here is that my life my broken life, my messed up life, that Christ, even in my sinfulness and my brokenness now, Christ might still somehow display his patience, that people might sit there and go, well, if Jesus loves Paul, then I guess he probably can love me too. Because look at how messed up Paul is, says Paul. That's why Paul's here. And if we were called to be ambassadors as if God is making his appeal through us, then, beloved, that's why we're here. That's why we're here. We were saved so that we might have eternal life and have it to the full. 
That's why Jesus saved us, because he loves us, because he wants us as his family. That's why he saved us. Why we're here instead of home? So that we might share that gift, reflect that hope, shine that light to a darkened world. That's why we're here. That's why we're still here. So that in us, in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and uh, receive eternal life. That's why I'm here. That's why you're here. Knowing why Jesus came, reminding ourselves of what the Bible says explicitly about that, that reminds us why we're here and why he told us, go make disciples of all nations. Go. You, you go do. Teach them what I taught you. It's not about us. It's not about our goodness. It's not about growing our church family, all of which are fine. It's not about filling the offering plates. That's great. But it's about producing seeds that grow into new life to the glory of God. That's what Jesus said as the cross loomed before him. As he was preparing for that, as he was looking forward to that, he said why he came in John chapter 12. He said, the hour has come, the Son of Man, to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds, and the man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Now, now, my heart is troubled. It is. And what am I going to say? Father, save me from this hour? No, 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 no. It was for this very reason that I came to this hour. This is why I came. To die to set you free. That's why I came. Father, glorify your name because that's why he came. That's how he started his ministry. That's how he ended his ministry. That's why Jesus came, to glorify God by saving the sinners that God had sculpted to be his children. That's why he came. That's why he was here. Why are you here? If that is over and over what Jesus said, it's why I'm here. Why are we here? We need to be reflecting that, to be reaching out. We need to be sharing with the lost. That's why Jesus came. And I am an ambassador of that gospel. Would you join with me in prayer? Dear Lord, I thank you so much. I thank you so much that you're very clear over and over why you came to seek and to save the lost lord help us to seek and to save the lost not in our own strength not in our own ability but by pointing them to you fill us with your spirit equip and enable us and direct us for your glory alone in jesus name